на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Back to our usual time of recording, this week we'll discuss the squads for both the Spornaya and under-21 teams for the upcoming national break, the first of which under Valery Karpin, the new Russia boss. We'll then recap all the latest in the RPL before rounding off with a quick look over the Hypercube reform proposals. To discuss all that, I'm joined, as usual, by David Sanson. Good evening, James. And Richard Pike. Good evening, James. Good evening, David. How are we all? I don't know. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit of a... I feel like it's been a slow start to the summer, or to the to the season, sorry. It's been a bit odd so far. I think the football domestically has been quite good, but the obviously the stagnant transfer market and then the, or generally stagnant, and then the disappointing Conference League results has put a little bit of a dampener on my less than stellar often optimism anyway. But one of the interesting sort of, distractions maybe has been the appointment of Valeri Karpin and his bizarre comments in particular last week in which he claimed that he did not like the majority of the positions and and listed off and a list of of people in different roles that he didn't think was up to the job or up to the up to the standard now in spite of that he has actually named his squad for the upcoming international break and to quickly run through that as a a return for Guilherme in goal. He's also joined between the sticks been Chupin of Rubin, Maximenka and Sergei Pesyakov. The defenders, Zhikia, uh, Deveev, Karavayev, Kudlyashov, Magkeev, listed as a defender, uh, Osipenka, Samoshnikov, Terlechov, Fernandez and Dmitry Chistyakov. Midfielders are uh, Bakayev, Barinov, Golovin, Yurokin, Zhemanetinov, Yonov, Zahayan, Zobnin, Kuzyaev, Makarov, Milanchuk, Mukin, Fomin, and Cherishev. And the three strikers are Zabalotny, Smolov, and Chukavin. Now, Chukavin, Sergei Terakov, Osipenka, Madkev, and Maximenka all could potentially make their debuts. And we have four foreign based players. So it's, it is quite a different squad from. Ones that we had seen in the past, David. Is there anything that you're surprised by, or maybe even pleased or disappointed by in this announcement? Um, well, today I think pretty much as well today they've also called up uh, Lunyov. So that's five goalkeepers he's called up, none of which is Safonov. Um, I think that's a bit harsh because Safonov was actually pretty good in the Euros. I thought, you know, Guillermo um, obviously shit bed. I don't know if I can swear like that, but he did in the first game. And was quickly replaced by uh, by by Safonov, who you know he put on a good display for himself. I thought um, in the remaining two fi- uh, two fixtures, even though obviously Russia were not good, he he himself was was decent. Um, so I was a little surprised. Well, definitely surprised to see Guillaume. I'm not not half surprised to see a couple of Rostov players there. Obviously, with his his passing, Rostov, Pesyakov, you know he's. He's a bit ancient, to be honest. I think it's a waste of a call up when, yeah. when there's others around. But it's like nice to see Maximenko there, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, he, one of his comments was that he he didn't think Russia had a first choice goalkeeper. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see who he who he gives 
some games too. Obviously, the Croatia game being the big one, and then Malta and Cyprus. Maybe he can experiment a little bit because of their because they are slightly weak opposition. So that was the first sort of standout. A then I mean, presumably this this squad is big, and they I don't know if what's the what the rules are with these COVID times. Like obviously five subs is still a thing. So are they allowed bigger squads, or is he going to have to chop some players out of here? I don't know. Um, good to see, you know, a bit of some fresh faces, you know, three, if we included Makayev, three fresh defenders, because you know, Makayev was brought through as a centre-half, and but obviously at senior level was played predominantly as a, as a CDM. But then in the under-21s, we had the opposite situation happening with the player. Um, two left-backs there, you know, Samoshnikov and Terekov. It would seem to me that we're going to get at least one, you know, one of those two is going to play. Um, you know, there's, there's, as you said, there's five players who might get um, their first cap. Well, actually, there's five players who've never been in the squad before, but also Samoshnikov, Dupin, Makarov, Zaharian. There's nine players that are uncapped in this squad. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure if Chistiakov has a cap uh, either. There's plenty of uncapped players in here. I think there's going to be some experimentation with the bench, uh, with the defence. I think he could play five at the back because Terekov and Soloshnikov both. Um, Terekov obviously has starred for, for Sochi as a wing-back, Soloshnikov as a full-back, but I, I can just see him going with five at the back. But a hell of a lot of midfielders in there. Obviously, we're all... I think we all were, were calling for some Makarov during the, during the Euros just to give Russia a bit of something. Um, because because we, we know what he's like, you know, he's so unpredictable. I think there's a lot of deserving calls up call ups in there. Obviously, a little bit disappointed still to see Yonov hanging around, considering sort of how average he is. Zabolotny, sort of, I guess there instead of Zuba. Zuba had a he's had a poor start to the season. I don't think he's got a goal or an assist yet. Um, came off the bench in their last fixture, didn't didn't start. Has obviously got some past history with with Carpin. So I guess Zabalotny is sort of being promoted into the Zuba spot. Mm. Zab's, to be fair, started the season fairly decently, I thought, at, at Siska. Um, was a real threat in the Ufa game earlier on in the season. Scored the goal in that game. And then Smolov getting back in the, in the frame, which is nice for him. And Tukarvin, obviously, a nice, a nice uh, deserving call-up, I think, you know. Him and him and Zakariana have a real uh, rise over the last year, and it'd be nice to see them potentially get get on the pitch. Um, so yeah, uh, overall I have largely positive, and I felt I thought we were going to get a positive squad because Carpin has at club level been one to use younger players. Um, mm. Obviously, there's still a couple of weird ones. You know, I, I wouldn't have had Kudryashov or or Yonov in there, but I, I can get behind the bulk of the rest of the squad. I think. Yeah, I think, as always, football's a subjective game and you're not going to agree with every decision, but there is at least a direction that he's going in, which is promising, even though he's what, probably only a short-term appointment. He said himself that. But if I, will, I will just quickly expound upon what you said. In, in basically, in Carpen's interview on, what was it, Monday morning, I believe it was, um, his, his press conference, he said that the... <laughs> that he was 
concerned by every exact the exact term, uh, phrase was everything about Sponaya bothers me. I'm bothered by many things, especially the fact that we don't have a clear number one, as you said, David. But it's true for other positions as well. Uh, he actually claimed that it was Kafanov, the goalkeeping coach, who chose his goalkeepers and not him personally. Uh, and that's why there's so many of them in such a disparate selection. Um, he said, I'm bothered by everything. The centre-backs, full-backs and forwards. I'm bothered by the players' current form. Zuba and Sobolev are not in their best form. Many things. Mario has to be subbed. Samoshnikov has to be sub, subbed. All of this bothers me. Now, that was published on Sport Express, but it was obviously... Um, quite openly said by Carpin in a press conference, and I'm not quite sure what he's trying to do here. If he's trying to set up a get out of jail free card at the very start, I mean, look, he's partly not wrong. I, I talk, like a lot of these players are out of form. A lot of the there is question marks over who Russia's number one is currently. I think you asked ten people, they'd probably give you five different answers, which explains why there's five goalkeepers. What he's saying isn't necessarily wrong. I just don't necessarily agree with that's how you start your first ever press conference in your job, in the, the biggest job in the country, is the, the national team boss. Um, it's a little bit odd. But Richard, what do you think about the squad in general? Quickly, do you are you enthused? I'm, I'm particularly glad that Smolov has been recalled in Chikarvin as well to make his debut. Yeah, um, overall, I, I, I like to echo um, David's sentiments and, and yours, James. I think I'm, I'm quite happy with the squad, yeah. Um, there's obviously still a few names in there, which I'd rather not see. I, I think Kudryashov should definitely not be in there. I'm disappointed Guillerme's back and likewise disappointed with Ionov. But apart from that, yeah, I'm quite happy with the squad, actually. Um, I think I, I just say I look just briefly now. I think it's 11 uncapped players, which is very, very nice indeed. So it's definitely indicative of a new era. Um, yeah, I think the players that have been playing well have been rewarded. Happy to see Terekov in there from Sochi. He's had a good a good season last season, carried that on this season so far. Samoshnikov's been rewarded, which is correct too. They've, like I say, like David said, that could be a straight fight for the left back spot. Um, and yeah, he's you know Mukins looks like he's made a decent start at Siska. Makarov too. Um, yeah, happy to see Smoloff back in there. You know, um, he's shown his versatility too. Versatility too by, you know, playing slightly off um, a striker at, at Lokomotiv. He's played both as a main striker and as a support striker, so that's handy too. Um, I'm quite enthusiastic about the squad. Yeah, and uh, as for Carpine's comments, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's just a bit strange to make them at um, the first press conference, but. Yeah, I think it is. So it's it's understandable to dumb down expectations because I think after the Euros, I think expectations have dropped uh, post twenty um, twenty eighteen World Cup. So um, so yeah, it was a bit of a strange time to make them, but I do kind of understand dumbing down expectations a, a little bit because uh, it is a tough group that Russia are in to make the twenty twenty two World Cup in Qatar. Um, you know, Croatia and Slovakia are not easy opponents at all, even Slovenia. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm, I'm quite happy with the squad and uh, I like, you know, throwing it out to the goalkeeping position wide open, saying, you know, look, it's up for grabs. Whoever wants it, impress me in training and you'll get it. So, yeah, um, quite happy with the squad overall. Not too many qualms. So, yeah, positive start from Carpe the squad-wise anyway. Yeah, I think it was just a weird monologue. Um, I wonder if he's trying to... I mean, look, in, in Russia, it's a, the birth of many 
the the geographical area of, of the way many memes were birthed. Um, self depreciation and sardony is two of the most sought after and highly praised like forms of comedy in Russia, particular and forms of opinion in general. And lots of Russian football fans are not really particularly enthused at the moment. After, I mean, look, look just like we are, you have to be blind to be blindly optimistic. And I think he's just kind of telling a lot, a lot of the fans what they want to hear. He did that a lot of Rostov too, as well. I'm not particularly fond of Karpin as a coach. Don't get me wrong; he was an absolutely brilliant footballer, but he's the man who should be not saying this publicly. Yes, say it privately. Yes, say it to his assistants. Maybe say it to some of the players, some of those who maybe need a bit of a kick up the arse and not an arm around the shoulder. But saying it in his very first press conference is just not giving off a good signal to the to the players in particular. Like when he when he said everything about Sponaya, especially the fact we don't have a clear number one, that's really not going to be very good motivation for the goalkeepers. I mean, on one hand, yes, he's setting a challenge out there to go grasp it, go get your number one. But he's also basically saying, instead of saying, oh, we've got lots of good options, but we're not sure who's the best, he essentially said that they're all shit, which is just not very good motivational and psychological work. And so much of international football is based around that. Chris Coleman, who took Wales to the 2016 Euro semis, completely unexpectedly with what was essentially a weak squad and two superstars, one in particular world-class player, did so a lot around getting the best out of that world-class player, building the team around him, and then installing a very strong mentality and a tight psychological bond around the whole squad. It's just not the greatest of starts from Carpen, but squad composition, not too bad. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And with that, we will quickly move on because there are obviously no games to discuss yet uh, in terms of the internationals. We'll move on to the under-21 squad, which was also announced at the beginning of the week. And this one's got a, a few more surprises and and potential names that many people might not uh, recognise first off, obviously with the, 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 the recent strong generation ageing up beyond but this is the under twenty one, so it's a Katsev, Borosko, Budachev, uh, Prokin, uh, some of the big names there, uh, Stanislav Stepanov, uh, Kirill Bozhinov, Konstantin Maradashvili, uh, Nailo Miyarov, Mikhail Ignatov, uh, Timur Sulimanov, Kirill Klimov, uh, Kamil Dagalarov. So sorry for the poor pronunciations, but I was just reading this going along. Uh, some of them are in particularly fine fettle playing regular RPL action this season, David. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the old generation were, they weren't under 21 by the by the time they played in the actual tournament. They were, they were pushing 23, some of them. Um, so these guys are now fully all under 21, all born 2000 later. Um yeah, you got a nice mix. You got Prokin playing regularly in the Premier League, Stepanov, Lusevich playing regularly, Maradishvili, Umyarov, Chernikov, Krasnov's played every game this season, Karpuzov, Suleimanov, Galarov. You can almost put together from that team uh, a full uh, 11 of regular RPO players still. Um, and even then, the ones that aren't filled with regulars, you can put semi regulars, you know, even Akatsev uh, played for Krasnov on the weekend. 
Bojanov's on the bench a couple of times off the bench for Kimki, Solyanov's off the bench for Lokomotiv, uh, Perutsev for, for Kirillia off the bench a few times as well. And there's even a couple of foreign-based players, you know, Yosifov and um, Savikian, who are both out in Spain. Obviously, Yosifov went to Villarreal uh, this, this summer. So it's an interesting squad. And yet there's still some fairly big names who, who have been left out. Um, some surprising names. I mean, the the one who actually not terribly surprising that he was left out is uh, Akatsev, uh, not Akatsev, uh, Nikita Krivsov. Um, but he's been without game time. He's actually just signed for Korea over the weekend. Uh, so no surprise really to see him left out considering he's without game time, but expecting that maybe he'll, he'll get back in soon. But, um, you know, Vadim Karpov from Cisco, you thought could be still there. Um, obviously, we were sort of probably all expecting Tukarbin probably to be involved, but he's been uh, ushered up to the next the next stage. Pinyai has been playing in the RPL, not involved. Sukhomino for Rostov has been playing regularly in the RPL, also not involved. Uh, and even the other Litvinov, um, so you've got Rodzan Litvinov from Spartax in the squad, but Vaisal uh, Litvinov from Krestodar, not involved. Um, and he's also been playing the RPL this season. Same with Kirill Former from, from Rostov. So, um, you know, there's some, there's some strong names who have been left out of the squad still. Um, definitely the, the weak point appears probably to be centre-half. Prokin, um, really good. I think he started the season very well, in fact. Um, for Sochi, he's played pretty much every game and I think he's come on quite well. Obviously, he was at fault in the first leg against Partizan for, for the goal. But I still think he's he's coming along very well, uh, and it's strange to think that I, I'd forgotten that actually he doesn't even belong to Zenit anymore. They sold him to Rostov this summer, and he's on loan at Sochi from Rostov, uh, which I'd completely forgotten about until Rostov boasted that they had a player in the under twenty one squad. Um, but then alongside him, you've got Karmaev, who was not too good in the in the previous under twenty one friendlies, um, and then two players who getting their first call up at this level, which is Kirill Bolshakov, uh, who's playing for Olymp Dolgoprudny in, in the Feniel on loan from Kimki. And uh, Kutitsky from Dinamo Moscow, who has, I think, made one appearance in the RPL in the past, just off the bench, but he's he's regularly training with their first team, regularly on the bench, but he's, he's yet to sort of break through uh, for them. But the midfield is certainly looking very strong, you know, almost that whole midfield that's in the squad have played in the Premier League this season, apart from Sivikian and uh, Yossifov, and that's because they're abroad. All the rest have played in the RPL. Um, and with Suleimanov and Agalarov, you've got two strikers who have started the season well in the RPL too. So I'm um, starting to see it come together. You know, when we looked at the squads back in April and trying to pick out how it, where it was going to go with the next gen, um, I think we're still, we, we've improved since then. Um well, actually, the biggest surprise to me was to see Botnar left out. He's he's the goalkeeper regular. They've started every game for Topina Moscow. They're top of the league in the Feniel. They've only conceded twice this season. Um, and he's not in the squad, which is a surprise because the other three goalies um, not getting as much football as he is. So that was that was a shock because I thought he would be involved. But they've decided to, to bypass it. But good squad. I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye watching the games once they, once they play. And uh, see how we get on. Um, some, you know, some of these guys have come from very modest roots. You know, Agalarov was at Angie when they qualified for the Euro for Youth League, and Bolshikov's, I think, Crimean um, 
with Crimean Heritage. So some, yeah, some, some nice, interesting plays in there, and I'm looking forward to it. And David, a quick little return to yourself. You've been doing some research into the minutes played and usage of under-21s, is it, so far in the RPL? I don't know if you want to go into that ever so slightly, just give the listeners a quick tease of what you've been what you've been finding out so far. Uh, yeah, so um, oh my God, I've been keeping track of a bunch of whole stats on the RPL and the Feniel. Uh, the one that I found interesting, I, I sort of put it to the to the group the other day, was you know, which team this season in the Premier League have used the most academy players um, under twenty of under twenty three age because I'm predominantly focusing on, on the younger guys. Um, and it was actually Krasnodar who've, who've used seven players from their academy under twenty three uh, on the pitch so far this season, um, which surprised me considering their old squad. But then you, you sort of think about it. Obviously, you've had Safonov and Akatsev both have played in goal. Litvinov came off the bench this weekend for his first appearance of the season. Jernikov and Spurtsian have played um, pretty much every game in midfield. And then uh, Shappi has come off the bench a couple of times. So it's the seventh. So um, they've got a few. But then if once you start getting older, you, that would soon drop off. And I think um, if you were to branch out and include a few more, you'd see Loco... Um, you know, with guys like Baranov um, and Miranchuk, who are, who are older than 23, but are also from their academy, um, or Dinamo, but you've got Yevgenyev, Shunin, uh, or Sisko, where you've got Akinfeyev, Sagoyev, Shenikov. You know, th- those squads have still got a lot of their own academy players, but in terms of the the ones who are coming through now, Krasnodar are currently the, the team who have used the most. Uh, Loco and Spartak are up there as well. You know, obviously Spartak have got Maximenko playing playing on the regular. Ignatov's also been playing. Bakayev. Uh, and then Lokov. have uh, got Ruchinsky, Kulikov, Makayev all, all playing regularly at the moment too. So, um, yeah, that was just an interesting one. You've still got six teams who have yet to use a player from their academy this season. Um, and then two teams altogether, Ufa and Nizhnyov, who have not even included an academy player in, in their match they squad so far. Um, but the situation definitely has been improving. You know, I've been monitoring these sort of figures for the last couple of years and definitely seeing a, a big increase over the last few years in, in the number of under-23 players who are, who are being used in the RPL. It's no longer an old league, I would say. It's, it's definitely becoming a younger league. Yeah, good. It can only be good for the long-term future of the of the division. And I, I hope that the... I would presume anyway that the the limit chick development that we've lauded so often is actually making quite an impact upon that by forcing younger players to play regular first team uh, full level men's football adult football as opposed to being left in the in the youth leagues um and of course having more progressive managers like Sand- Sandro Schwartz and for, and for instance he um deserves the utmost credit for giving so many youngsters a chance at Dinamo at the same time, which is is a big risk. Uh, and the pressure's high there. Pressure's very high there. So it, it's only good for the long-term future of the RPL in general. And if we do focus away from Spornaya and the under-21s now onto the RPL, we had another round of uh, fixtures at at the weekend, and Richard, you kept an eye on Lokomotiv versus Zenit, which was one of the big name games of the weekend. 
Yeah, I did. Um, and, you know, I was really shocked when I saw the starting lineup to see um, Noah Tom's Uber in there. Um, now, obviously, look, I think we all can agree that, as David mentioned earlier, he he's not particularly a good start to the season as Uber. Um, and, you know, he's he's come back from the Euros. He's not scored or assisted. He's He didn't have a, a great Euros either, although I think the tactics didn't help there. But going back to Zenit, yeah, even for Zenit, he's not had a particularly great start to the season, not looked himself. Asmoon has definitely outshone him up front with goals and assists. Um, and he, he was dropped, obviously, for Alexander Yerokin, who took his place. And um, and I'm beginning to wonder if this is now going to be a sign of the times going forward for Zuba because he's out of contract next summer. Um, and, you know, obviously Zenit have just made their big signing in Claudinho. Uh, so I'm beginning to wonder if this is Simak perhaps, you know, adapting now to eventually looking to bring in Claudinho to play alongside Asmoon. Um, you know, from what I've seen of YouTube highlights of Claudinho, I mean, I haven't actually ever seen him play, but um, from what I've seen of YouTube highlights, he seems to be a player who, whilst he does operate in the wide spaces, I think centrally is where probably Zenit are probably going to be looking to play him. Um, he definitely looks like a creative player um, who can, you know, feed Asmoon balls to score. So maybe it hints in a change of style from Zenit. And I and I definitely saw during the game that Zenit were, um, you know, um, starting to play definitely a lot more shorter passes and on the ground. You know, there was a lot less direct passing, primarily a result of not playing Zuba. Um, so I'm beginning to wonder whether this is no Samak doing this to um, prepare for the introduction and integration into the squad of Claudinho. And I think, to be fair, I think it's a good move to do this now because the Champions League matches are coming up soon for Zenit and it is absolutely vital this season that they do better. Obviously, it's draw permitting. But, you know, given the early exits of Sochi and Rubin, we definitely need Zenit, if they can, providing a, a nicest draw to do more in Europe this season. And I think it is important now to build the side, not just focus on Zuba, now build the side around Claudinho. Zuba is still a good squad option to have, I think, but I think now Claudinho is the man who you've, you've brought in as your big big summer signing. And um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what Zenit will do now with that. Um, uh, so yeah, it was nice to see some a different style of Zenit. And it, sometimes the passing was a little bit off, but obviously I'd rather they work on the system now and get it right for when the Champions League matches come around. Uh, it was a decent game. I thought you know, Zenit probably did deserve to win. Um, you know, Asmoon in particular missed a guilt-edged chance in the second half. Uh, I thought Malcolm had a decent second half before he went off. Uh, there was one ball he put through on the counter, which was perfect for Asmoon. It was just a perfect cross into the box, but Asmoon didn't finish it. Um, Kruzaev was, was correctly sent off. I mean, he, he was very lucky to stay on the pitch, actually, um, in the first half, because he'd done a second foul, and, and it was a second yellow card, and he was lucky to stay on then, and he, I think the the red card, the second yellow he got was correct because he was lucky. He was lucky in the first half, and uh, Loco just hung in there. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite intriguing to see this format, this style switch from Zenit. So, um, and I think Samat indicated in his in every something I saw on Twitter earlier today that he's looking to give Claudinho a start um, soon. So maybe we might see him this weekend or in the final game before the international break. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and as for Lokomotiv's point of view, it's intriguing now how Nikolic and uh, Ragnit now are reshaping the squad. They're, they're being linked with Alexis Becker-Becker, 
um, a young um, central midfielder from Cayenne in League 2. And I see they were targeting another striker from um, League 2 from Toulouse, whose name escapes me. But um, maybe this is a sign of the time from, um, from Locomotive's strategy going forward, now targeting young players in, in the French League 2. So, um, yeah, um, be excited to see what, what comes about in the next few weeks there. But, but, yeah, it was the most the thing I can take from that game was um, maybe a slight switch in style from Zenit. It'd be interesting to see if this continues going forward. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I must admit, I was a little bit perplexed by them, <clears throat> the rumours and the eventual departures of some quite big name players at Loco after the arrival of Ragnik and Zorn. Um, but the links are promising. It's clear that they are trying to definitely get a younger, more dynamic squad, which is something that Loco have suffered of late, of having a, a, a squad which is a little bit on the old side, especially, say, Krakowiak. I mean, Krakowiak, Becker, Becker and Krakowiak, two totally types of players in terms of their age and dynamism, and that exactly is what Rangnick likes in his teams. I just wonder if they can adapt quickly to his style of play because it is very intensive and they will have to, the way like I say, they will have to adapt quick and jump on that and get used to that as soon as they can. Uh, David, the other one of the other big teams, uh, Krasnodar, played against the strugglers Arsenal Tudor at the weekend, and and that game particularly interested you. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, the the lineups from both teams were were interesting. Um, Krasnodar rested or dropped Safonov. He he was on the bench. Um, Tony Valenia was also not in the squad. Reports of uh, an argument with Ilian and then there was reports that he just has a contract dispute because he wants to leave. So um we had Cornushin playing it right back making his his senior debut. He's a guy who's uh, been in the Feniel for Krasnar two and, and Volgar for the last couple of seasons. Akatsi was in goal. You had then the classic strong team up front of uh Klaasen, Krakowiak, Cabela, Cordova as the front four, you know. Um and then obviously Yonov, but I'm not including him. So they had a, they had a weak team, sort of on paper put out uh, with, with some players. And then you had Arsenal too. It also gave a debut to to a right back from their academy, Sukhanov. Um, and they went out early and took the lead. Uh, Sukhanov actually got the assist for Lutsenko. Lutsenko with a couple of goals. Um, obviously, he missed a lot of last season with injury, which was a big, big loss for Arsenal. Uh, probably a big reason as to why they struggled so much. Considering when we think back to the year before, Lutsenko was, you know, he got called up to the Russia squad and obviously missed out because of because of injury there as well. Um, but he he got them on underway, and that I think just woke Kressler up a little bit. Cordoba looks like a really astute signing. He 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 looks like he's going to do business in the RPL. You know, he's now scored in, in three separate games. Obviously, granted the first one was was just a penalty against the Real, but he scored against Zenit. Um, scored again against Arsenal. He actually had a penalty which he hit the bar with as well, so he could have scored twice this weekend. Uh, he also got an assist. Um, so yeah, he he looks like a good. You know, they put some good money on him, but he has already adapted. You know, three goals already is a great return, um, and it looks like he's he's going to do do the business of replacing the goals that they lost with Berg um, up front, which is which is good. Um, so yeah, it was it was good from their perspective. Arsenal rotated, rotated a little bit, and you know, they played uh, Bjornstrom at left back, and he he didn't have a particularly good game. But um, in Klusevich and 
and Zuriko. They both these young guys are sort of playing as the wingers, supporting Lutsenko. Uh, obviously, Klosevich can play in defence as well. Um, but they both start the season particularly well, I think. Obviously, Arsenal in general haven't played great. Um, obviously, they got a nice win against Krulia a couple of weeks ago. Um, if it's going to be, you know, Klosevich was linked to Rubin and Cisco over, over the summer, but um, I think Rubin were allegedly balked because of his wage demands. But um, he, he's going to be probably off next within the next two transfer windows. He looks a really tidy player. Um, and I'm sure a bigger team can make use of him. Um, but I, I think there's signs there that they, they may start coming good. Yeah, uh, you had Ayaz Guliev even played off the bench, wearing number nine, which was a bit of a disgrace, to be honest, considering he's a he's a midfielder. But um, Lutsenko coming back, scoring twice, he scored again at the end. It was just a consolation mine. But um, they had Kresner on the ropes a little bit once he got to 3-2 for the last five minutes and I think they were they were pleased when the whistle came across the bar, but um, promising signs for for both teams. I think you know um, with Cordoba coming in, but you know it's great news. Superstar's squad is still heavily unbalanced in terms of the foreigners that they've got, um, and they're they're lacking a little bit on the bench in depth. They have four less subs named compared to Arsenal, so the squad's small. Obviously, they're missing players as well uh, for injury, and obviously Valenia is missing for for other reasons, but. Um, Krasnodar, as we said, we still need stuff to do, but good performance from them, um, but still defensively uh, shaky. Yeah, so a little bit more of the usual carried on from last year, but I must admit I'm also pretty enthused about Cordoba. He looks, like you said, exactly like a younger version of, of Marcus Berg. Um, more mobile, which is huge for Krasnodar, uh, and, a, and a pretty smart signing as well. And apparently, was it uh, Nobel Ostromian um, the other day meant, uh, revealed that apparently they only actually paid 10 million euros and not the as reported 20, which at this current rate, early yeah. doors, looks like a potential steal, really. Yeah, good money. Uh, Richard, Siska Rostov, how was the army men go- doing this season? Ah, uh, yeah, I watched this game. Um, I have to say, Siska showed some promising signs. Um, slowly starting to see some trends emerging under Alexei Barazutsky. Um, the player who really caught my eye in this game was um, was uh, Chidere Ajuke. And I actually think now, you know, we obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Nikola Vlasic yet. We, you know, some of the early interest in the transfer window from right at the beginning of the, the window, seems to have faded away, although I suspect there might be some late deals this this window across Europe. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with regarding him departing. But I think his UK is very, very well placed to to take over from um, from Vlasic as Siska's main man. He, he's definitely improving from last season. He impressed me against Dinamo and um, I think he was deservedly man of the match in this game. He, you know, he, he just calls Rostov problems all game from wide areas. I think some of his combination play with Chaloff was good. Uh, he set up Chaloff for the for the second goal that Siska scored. Um, a nice, brilliant run from midfield. I think he evaded a challenge, managed to stay on his feet, sprinted through the field, and then passed it to the left for Chaloff, who finished really well into the bottom corner. Um, and yeah, I think I think Siska, you know, there was some improvement improvement from some of the earlier performances in the season. Um, still not massively convinced with Jakobiol, but you know 
it looks like they are looking like they're going to play him at centre half, central central defence. No, so um, yeah, uh, they're obviously a little bit short there, and you know, with the option, the other options are Victor Vassin and Vadim Karpov. Well, Karpov a bit harsh because he's still quite young, but yeah, that's Victor Vassin is certainly no improvement on Bial at centre half. We all know how how just how terrible he is nowadays. Um, Obviously, Bruno Fuchs is now back, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there, whether they, they just go with Bial as the reserve central defender. Um, and yeah, signs that there's some progress. Uh, I'm still, I have to admit, I think Rostov are, are pretty poor, and I think this weekend's game against Nishinovgorod is really important for them. Um, you know, they definitely look like they're dropping off in standards, um, and they don't win that game against Nishi at the weekend, then I think they, they could be in for a really tough season. Um going forward. Let's see what Siskar do. I think they're on seven foreign players at the moment. Um, they brought a young striker off the bench late on, so ahead of Geish, which was quite interesting. Uh, this young striker, his name escapes me, but I thought that was quite an interesting call. Let's um, see what they do late on. With any, if there's any late transfer window business at Siskar. I personally think with, they're on seven foreigners at the minute. If they do sell Vlasic, I would also probably I'd also probably sell Geish if they could offload him. Because you've got um Chaloff and you've also got um Zabalotny and they've not got Europe. So I think they might as well give Chaloff this season to see if he can rediscover his goal scoring form. Um and I'd actually put the money towards a pair of fullbacks if I was Siska, because they need to be proactive because you know, um Fernandez has got a few more years left, but he's indicated already that he might be retiring from football in the next two to three years. So maybe a young foreign right back, maybe someone 19, 20, who can learn from him this season and probably gradually look to take over from him. Maybe next season or the season beyond is probably an option and definitely a left back. I think, you know, I don't really think playing Obyakov the full time is really a long term solution. I think he's better in midfield. So a pair of full backs and maybe a Vlasic replacement if they can have the free spots free. With some of the money they get um, from sales, would be would be a good idea. Um, so so yeah, um, I think that's um, what I'd be doing if I was to scar. But yeah, some signs of progress from um, from Berezutsky. Um and I think they play uh, Akmat at, the, at home at the weekend. I'm looking forward to that one because Tal Layev's had a good start there, so that should be quite a good game, I think. Yeah, certainly. I'm not. I'm still not convinced about Berezutsky in charge of Siska and. I've watched some of the games this season and they are playing better football than they did under Vita Rolich ever so slightly. But I just, I, I'm just not fond of having these club legends come in. I've said it before and I've said it again. I just don't ever think it it truly does really work out. Um, more often than not, it, it, it really just sours the relationship that they had from their playing days. But one last game we'll cover today, and that is uh, a club legend at another club who's actually taken over at Nizhny Novgorod, uh, Alexander Kershikov, of course, and that is Nizhny versus Ufa, David, which you've you, you've thought was one of your favourite games of the weekend, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I quite enjoyed, um, I quite enjoyed this game. Um, Nizhny at home, uh, Ufa away. Obviously, I, I was had a bit of a soft spot for Ufa. Um but it was it was it was quite a good open fixture, I thought. Um, Nishni Nishni was probably start the half better. Uh, first half, but they went in nil nil. Um, Kassin, uh, not Casadura. I just saw his name on the screen. That was why I said it. Uh, Agalarov got away early in the second half. Ball a big ball over the top. 
And uh, quite comically, the, the Nijni defender who was chasing back lost his balance and did a diving front forward roll and got straight back on his feet to try and catch him. But it was too late. He, the damage was done. Agalarov was away. And uh, he, he went away and scored. Um, the Nizhny's new Hungarian centre-back then headed in for, for one all. Um, and he then got a penalty, uh, which which honestly was a pretty soft penalty, I thought, personally. Um, actually, no, I was thinking of a different penalty. It was a penalty, this one. Uh, Agalarov just first the ball. Nigmatulin was slow. Um, it, it was... It, sh- it should have been Nigmatulin's ball because, like, it was just a bouncing ball in the six-yard box. Agalaro just nipped in, popped it over the top of Nigmatulin. It, it went wide, but um, Nigmatulin followed through and took Agalaro out. Um, and, he, and uh, you know, Ivanov stuck the penalty away. But, um, yeah, Ufa, Ufa started the season well, um, I thought, personally. Uh, you know, last year they, they were struggling, but they had some good players. You know, Vyslav Kamilov had a... Had a very good season, I thought. They've, they've kept uh, Moritz Bauer permanently, who um, was actually playing a, a left wing back, as I recall, this week, which was interesting. Um, Kassentura, as we as we know, I think we've talked about him briefly before, coming in from, from futsal. Um, started the first couple of games on the bench, and, and the last two games he started. On, started. Um, and honestly, he looks like one of the best players for Ufa. He... He gets them moving. He's a bit. He does a bit sort of like what Urunov did back when uh, Urunov broke through. Obviously, he's he's just today signed back for Ufa on loan this season, so that's a that's a nice boost for them. But uh, Kassantura, you know, coming out from futsal to, to playing full ninety minutes of football for uh, you know a professional team is doing astonishingly well. Um, so he speaks fluent Russian, so I think that's helped his adaptation to the team. Um, and yeah, he, he just. He just seems to have that that reading of the game, which is you know incredible considering his his background. You know, he didn't really start playing football um, properly until he he moved to Russia um, when he was like nineteen or something. So, so it's a it's a great story. Um, for Nizhny, we we got the other striker. Really, is the is the player I want to talk about. Uh, you know, both teams started their their under twenty one striker, and it's Timur Sulaymanov who um, was really good again. You know, he, he's so dominant in the air. Um, really, really good at holding the ball up for his team. Beckham Balai, who, who they signed in the summer, has just done very little so far um, for them. But, you know, Nizhny is still top five right now. Um, Kozhikov has done very well with a modest, well, very modest squad, very modest budget. You know, they've not signed too many players. They, they just brought in Richie Yenin, who was another player who Kozhikov worked with at Tom Tomsk. Um, there's talks that they're going to get Kirill Kosarev on loan from Rubin, who he also worked with at Tom Tomsk. Now, Kosarev was meant to have moved out to Croatia, so I'm not sure where this one's come from. But, um, you know, Kozhikov's doing, bringing in the place where he knows, you know, they can't afford to sign players. Um, and he's he's getting them some good performances out of his team. You know, Kokoyev and Gotsuka at the back um, with Masuero are doing well. Um so yeah, they they've surprised they've surprised me a lot this season because you know in preseason Ruben beat them twice very comfortably. Uh, they've done well, uh, and Ufa, it's, you know, I'm always pleased to see them win. So I'm I'm just happy for both teams at this point who who start the season. I think both, you know, surprised me well. Yeah, and to be fair, David, you did call that Sulemanov would. Who I called that he would, but you hope that he would, and did say that he'd 
impressed you last season as well. Yeah. Um, so another one in the in the record books that we got right and well, I say we, you. <laughs> it's, no it's always nice it. to be right, isn't it? Always <laughs> nice. Like when it, uh, I'm going to go off topic, but Carl Starfelt has not been getting good reviews at Celtic, and I'm just like, look, I did warn you, and it feels so nice to be that to be in that position. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, he might still come good. You know, we we saw him struggle with, to start with at Rubin, and then you know within his oh, about a year in, he started to perform much more consistently. So, you know, uh, it's uh, I, I don't want him to underperform. But it's always nice to be right, isn't it? A little bit. <laughs> I must admit, it was like they got the wrong Ruben defender. I mean, Starfelt was was better towards, like you said, towards his later time at Rubin. But Scotland's an even more physical, aerially dominated mm. league than Russia, and that's what he tended to struggle with, especially compared to like yeah. the others around him. Um, well, yeah, the big caveat that I was telling people when they were asking me, you know, people were asking me, you know, what Starfelt like, I was saying, well, he's okay, but. Ruben's defense was really good because of Abu Gore. He he was the he was the the plug. He was yeah. the guy stopping the ball getting to Starfelt. Um, and you know, if Celtic don't have that, then you've just got a defender who's you know, okay. But for five million for a guy who's twenty six or whatever, only got a couple of caps. I, I thought it was a bit of a a wild deal, to be honest. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that was you know just off topic. So if we do rein it back into the RPL slightly, but away from the re- recent matches of late, I want to discuss some re- reform proposals. So basically, I'll, I'll take a little bit of time here to discuss a little bit more in depth the proposals of reform. And essentially in May, it was announced that the RFU had aimed to reform all professional leagues in the country, and that of which being the RPL, the FINAL and the PFL. Now, since then, of course, the FINAL and PFL have been reorganised into what is the FINAL and FINAL Devar, so one and two, um, with the, the FINAL staying the same as the Upper League and then the FINAL 2. At first, it was just basically renaming. It never saw ever so slight rules change, but it does basically allow for longer-term change and longer-term unification in this new scope. Um, but the RFU have actually turned the Dutch company Hypercube, and they're an analytical company in in sports fields, and particularly they specialise in the expertise of national championships. Now, according to Championats, the cost of this research is set €170,000, and the RFU's official advertising and marketing partners will pay for them. Now, that does only actually include the sports and infrastructure components of the research. Hypercube have to have reported their work to the RFU on July the first, and they made the championships to the the change of the championship would be no earlier than the twenty twenty two twenty three season. The company considered four key issues: the limit on the foreign players, the format of the competition, the fall to spring system, and the form problem of intensity of the game. Now this is a little bit old news; most of us do know this already, but I will just recap to start the. The story there. Now, why are we discussing it now? Because it's actually getting towards crunch time, and the RPL clubs have until the twentieth of August, which is as of recording tomorrow, to give their stances on the foreigner limit and the format of the league. Similar to the, not necessarily, it's not necessarily been announced yet if this is the hypercube proposal, which I'll get into in a second, or if it's just the foreign limit and format. 
Now, the RFU had previously drafted solutions to abolish the limit, but Spartak and Ural are reportedly, according to the press, against the abolition. But the former Mills may still vote for it to be scrapped. Zenit in particular and most of the other major clubs want to get rid of it. Obviously, a lot of the European clubs are in favour of getting rid of it because it directly limits their European performance. Spartak, on the other hand, are run by Leonid Fadoun. And Leonid Fadoun is not just a megalomaniac, but he's a narcissist as well. And he basically would oppose the decision because it's not his decision. It's not his idea. That's how much of a narcissist this man is. If it was his idea, then he'd go for it. He's not looking at it in terms of Spartak or the league of Russia in general. He's looking at it in how can Leonid Fadoun get promote from this, uh, gain benefit from this, which to Spartak fans and probably everybody else who knows a modicum about Russian football, that is not surprising in the least. But anyway, I do digress. To quickly, before handing it over to Richard and David, I will quickly just summarise some of the reforms. So they prepared four options on towards the RFU. And they called them, these four options and the existing RPL format different names. Now, they called the RPL current format Earth-16. The alternatives are Earth-18, Mars-16, Jupiter-16 and Jupiter-20. Now, it is a little bit of a bizarre naming convention, but the general idea is that the further the planet is from Earth, the more difficult it is to implement. So, obviously, Jupiter-20 would be far more difficult to implement than Earth-18. Why they did this, I don't know, but that's a general why what is called what and where the differentiation comes from. Now, the full RF uh, reforms are detailed in their entirety, proposals are detailed in their entirety on the RFU website. But just to quickly go through, of course, the current RPL format is the two groups all playing, uh, two circles all playing with each other. Um, according to the same scheme as other European championships. But the intensity of other European championships, such as English, German, Spanish and French, has been noted by Hypercubers to be at a half, far higher level. Um, comparatively, an uh, example they use, a Premier League game between Burnley and Newcastle United causes far more of a stir, both domestically and internationally, than Spartak Siska does. Simply put, those who already have enough of everything can afford to play in the traditional format, the status and the principled matches, and thus the funds from TV broadcasts. Now, what they propose is a change to increase revenue, to increase interest, and increase competitivity and intensity, which would then, of course, if you build it, they will come, would allow the first two to happen. Now, for Earth 18, it practically doesn't really change from the current one. The number of participants would increase to 18, hence the 18. Secondly, the struggle for a second position of the Conference League would intensify. The teams that are fourth to seventh will have to compete among themselves for a playoff to get into that third position, a second position in the third tier. This is a direct copy of the Dutch Eredivisie, apart from the fact that there are teams competing for the Conference League from fifth to eighth in their league. Mars 16 is a little bit more complicated. This implies a more complicated system in general, which actually has no similar analogue in Europe. 
After 16 teams have played a regular championship, they would then be divided into three groups. The first to fourth would play to the home and away, and that would determine who makes it to the Champions League and who makes it to the Conference League. Fifth to twelfth would play among themselves in a playoff format. The winner of that would be eligible to complete, compete for a place in the Conference League against the fourth place team from the first group. And then in a third group would be the promote like the, the relegation playoffs. So 13th and 14th would play their uh, 15th and 16th play each other. Go uh, would go down, sorry. And 13th and 14th would play third and fourth. So it's very similar to what we have now. Uh, it is a complex scheme, of course, with the three separate groups of play of playoff games at the end. Um in there is similar in Belgium, but not exactly the same. In Belgium they have first to fourth and fifth to eighth. Um, fighting for European uh, positions, and then the bottom two are directly relegated. Uh, there's another one called Jupiter 16, um, which is basically, I'll try and paraphrase it more, but it's more aligned towards the Swiss system rather than the Belgian system. Um, in Russia, before the start of the season, the, de- the teams would be divided into four groups, four in each. They would then play six matches with the opponents in the group. Three at home, three away. You will only need to play it with someone only at home at one stage. So there would be, like, say, two teams playing in different home and away legs. Uh, it wouldn't be symmetrical, essentially. Um, in total, the teams would play 24 games in the first stage. And it would be more competitive within itself because it's in theoretically closer teams playing each other. So you have bigger teams playing each other more often, the bones in the middle playing mid-table and then relegation playing each other more often. After the 24 rounds, a split would take place. The first six teams would then go and play for European competition and the, all of the rest, the rest of the 10, would fight for survival um, as well as the right for the conference leagues and like a little round robin. So a little bit more confusing. And then there is Jupiter 20, which is similar to the old one, but an even advanced, more advanced second stage. So in terms of both Europe and relegation, but the essence remains the same. There'll simply be more matches. Dutch specialists have took into account the Russian club's uh, proclivity to fall to economic, economically to the wayside year in, year out. And only a limited number of teams can actually afford to play in the Premier League. So, <laughs> this one's a little bit... It gets in the weeds, but trust me. It's it's similar to what's used in the MLS. The teams are divided into two conferences, East and West. Everyone plays home and away in their conference. And according to the results of the regular season, these playoffs begin in each conference... At the end of the season, as the sixth best teams in each who play a mini tournament among themselves, and thus you would have the best team in the East and the best team in the West play each other. So it's like I say, it's 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 similar in terms of the the different groups, but it's essentially what they are. These different proposals are doing is outlining how it could make the league in general more competitive, in a more of an even split, and thus more appealing to international markets because they understand that. The foreigner limit, the current format, the calendar, and the lack of funding are the four biggest problems affecting Russian football right now. So away from all the structural things, those four points are the 
big recommendations of the Hypercube system. So after getting all into the weeds and everything, I uh, sorry for bored half of you there because it is a little bit much. <laughs> Richard, what what do you think about some of the Hypercube proposals? Firstly, is proposals is sorry reform necessary, and which sort of route would you like the RFU to go down? I think some kind of reform to the structure is definitely something worth exploring. I'm not sure about some of those proposals put forward, though. Even going, if even if you put the format back to a spring to autumn format, I'm still not fully certain on that. Um, maybe one idea could be you drop to a 14 team league, you play home and away against each other, um, and that goes up to 20, yeah, we'll go to 26 games, and then you probably split the league up into three groups. So you have like. First to fourth, fight for the championship. Then maybe fifth to maybe then fifth to tenth, fight for that final conference league spot. And then you know below that, fight for relegation. Maybe that's an idea um, that I'd, I'd like to put forward. Certainly worth you know some of these other leagues now, like Austria, uh, Switzerland. They have these kind of splits, don't they, in them? So um, that's something. Worth, worth having a look at maybe um, definitely competition format change um, as for keeping the current format whether it's a autumn to spring calendar like we have now or going back to the old spring to autumn calendar I'm I see understandably see the benefits of both obviously you have to be understanding that the UEFA dates for internationals and Champions League matches do throw a little complication in the in the works because obviously you've got to fit any extra games that you have, if you decide to have initial league format and then a, a league split, you have to obviously make sure there's enough free dates to be able to do that. So, but it is certainly something worth exploring. To me, the big one is the foreigner limit. I think, um, and it was interesting as well, looking at some of these hypercube reforms about, I think what they were proposing, weren't they, was that you had to have, I think it was four young players in your side, like of a certain age, under a certain age, and then I think four Russian players in your squad. And then the limit, the foreign player limit is completely removed. So for example, if you had that, you would have eight Russian players. Theoretically, a side could have a 25-man squad with, I think it's 17 foreign players and, and eight Russians. So technically you could go that. I don't think that it will come to that, that any club will do that. But have have that many foreigners on the on their books, but you know it, it. They could theoretically do that. That for me is the big one. Uh, the foreign foreign limit. I think that for starters has to be amended um, from the current setup of eight. Eight in a squad is not enough. We've seen in the RPL um, from the RPL clubs who compete in Europe this season. We've seen that they just don't have the squad depth. Where I mean. Your example of Spartak James reportedly thinking of voting against the limit is absolutely ludicrous. They've been looking to strengthen their squad all summer. They brought in a new manager, Rui Vittoria. They haven't strengthened their squad. They're wondering why they can't strengthen their squad. Hmm, let me think. Oh, yes, foreign limit. You're already at the limit. And now, you know, there's reports of them having to sell Samuel Shigo now with only one year left on his contract for a paltry sum just to be able to give Vittoria the chance to freshen up the squad because, you know, they can't buy any new foreign players now because they're on the limit. They have to buy Russian. There's not a lot of good quality Russian players around. I think this is definitely a positive and um, it'd be interesting to see how they implement that though because I was looking also at the Hypercube, um, how they would go about, you know, players getting work permits to play in Russia because they were talking about having a system which similar to the Premier League where you look at international caps. Now, the Premier League is streets ahead of Russian football in terms of standard, in terms of 
everything really. It's if not the best league in the world, one of the best three. They can kind of afford to go down that route because international players playing from all over the world will come to the Premier League because it's the richest league in the world. Russian football has obviously less of a pull to it, um, and the standards have dropped quite a bit in the last few years. So I'd also look at the strength of the league that clubs are buying from proportionate to just looking at whether they've got international caps. I mean, let's look at two of the best foreign players who've played in Russia um, and were integral to one of the side's uh, two championship successes. This tie I'm talking about is obviously Ruben Kassan. In 2007, they bought Christian Naboa from Emelec in Ecuador. And in 2008, they bought Cesar Navas from Racing Santander in Spain. Naboa only got his first Ecuador cap in 2009. So actually, under these hypercube reforms, would he have actually got a work permit to play in Russia? And likewise with Navas, because obviously Navas was not an international. Uh, I know there's an appeals committee that they're setting up to look at you know, certain cases of players. So for example, ones that are uncapped, whether or not they would be granted a work permit. But I think strength of league should also be looked at too, because, you know, let's say, for example, you know, you've got a, a, an international from some, a, a lower rank UEFA nation like someone like Moldova, for example. You know, you could have an international place for them who's interested in a Russian Premier League club. But is he of the same level as, let's say, for example, a Spanish or Italian or French player who's playing for a side at the bottom end of Ligue 1, La Liga or Serie A? but hasn't got a cap for his country and won't. But if there's still a player who can come in and improve the quality of the of the sides, like Cesar Navas was from Ruben, to Ruben Kassan from Racing Santander, then, you know, I think we should allow some leeway with that. And, you know, you know, someone like Pablo Masuero, for example, of, of um, Nishni, would he have got a work permit under these rules? You know, I think that is something important to consider. And bear in mind, if someone like Torpedo, an ambitious Feniel club comes up and then the limit's abolished for them, they've got wealthy owners. They're going to be looking at, for foreign players, leagues like Greece, Bulgaria, maybe Turkey. They're not going to be shopping in the same kind of markets as the likes of Zenit, Spartak, Krasnodar, that, who can go to leagues like Liga and Bundesliga, Serie A for players. So I think there's some interesting um, things to come from that. I think it's definitely going to improve things if the foreign limit is is removed. I think I, I think definitely needs to um, to go because we've seen how it hinders Russian clubs in Europe. And yeah, I, I agree with one of the other hypercube recommendations about tempo of the game, and it, it definitely needs to improve in Russia. I think they need to adapt to new trends. You know, gegenpressing, pressing, um, quick combination play between the lines, verticality. We need to see more of this in Russian football. You know, um, we're not seeing enough of this. In, and not even in not even in the, just the top five leagues in other leagues which have been until recently ranked similar to Russia leagues like you know Netherlands Portugal even Rakoff were good in transition against Rubin the other day and they're just you know a debutant side playing in Europe and yet they're so well coached on the transition they were really good so other leagues are catching up so yeah I definitely agree the intensity of games in the Premier League has to improve in the Russian Premier League has to improve a lot and hopefully you know with you know these reforms these recommendations will be passed on to the clubs. So we start getting coaches playing more progressive styles. Maybe the lifting the foreign limit as well might encourage more foreign coaches to come to Russia, you know, because now that the limits abolished, it might make the jobs, uh, might make the jobs more attractive because they're not having to just, you know, work on the limits and restrictions. So yeah, I, I'm in favour of these, the hypercube uh, reforms and uh, I seriously hope they get voted through. Yeah. I think we speak, for most fans of fo- of Russian football, that even if not these reforms in terms of the structure, 
but the reforms around uh, transfers, funding, particularly the foreigner limit and the the composition of the squads are, are absolutely vital. Really, really are vital now more than ever, especially with the RPL on the precipice in terms of the coefficients and and the potential backlash of falling into potentially even beyond 20th in, in the UEFA leagues. I think the terms of the the system of obviously removing the squad foreigner limit and having a similar one to what's currently existing in England right now in the, the having a percentage of homegrown players within the squad is is a good is a nice mix it would allow players who are not necessarily Russian but have graduated in Russian academies to become part of a squad obviously they would have the odd little weird weird little sort of development here and there like you would see Manchester City paying um Richard Wright £10,000 a week to to literally do absolutely nothing apart from fill a number in terms of the homegrown. You will probably see that. Some experienced goalkeepers who are like in the late 30s just picking up a third goalkeeper's role to, to help some of the youngsters and, and literally fill in a spot. But far rather have the third-choice goalkeeper filling a spot than a draconian, very tight squad limit or even far more draconian, very tight pitch limit. So, David, anything to add on? Any final final thoughts on the potential reform and what you would like to see reformed first and foremost? Well, I'm, I'm all for the, the squad limits, you know, the, the foreign limit. Um, you know, we all know that needs, needs changing. The teams need more flexibility. Um, you know, if they're, if they're going to bring in restrictions on, on players who can come, it needs to be balanced because, as, as Richard said, you know, uh, the smaller teams aren't going to have the same pull as the bigger teams, and so they're going to need access to, you know, guys like, um, you know, the the Slovenians who come over and do quite well, or the Croatians. You know, I'm thinking of guys like Skolfek who came, you know, Orenburg, Agafu, guys, Begic, Despot, like the, these kind of guys who came across from Serbia as well, who who are now RPL regulars. Um, you know, there there needs to be. Some good balancing, you know, it might it might not be weighted to, to league or caps. It might even be weighted to, um, you know, a player who's, you know, a player who's of of nationality of a top fifty nation. So Serbia presumably would fall within the top fifty, and then they could maybe go and sign out a player from there. I don't know, but uh, yeah, you know, if they're going to do a, like a work permit system, it needs to be uh, fine tuned to uh, you know to make it fair. Um, so that players, so that smaller teams can can bring across, uh, you know, players who who are going to improve, but you know, who also are going to want to come across. You know, we we've seen Feniel a lot of foreign players going there this summer, and predominantly they're from, you know, your Serbias, uh, your Baltics, and your Balkans essentially. So, um, so yeah, that that's there. But um, I've, I'm not a fan of any of these leagues that do splits. I think. Uh, it's it's over complication. It's for me, you know, football is you know a league season is a league season. Um, when you play the same big teams every week, it takes the shine off those times where a team does meet. You know, what we all think right that the Krasnodar Zenit game from a couple of seasons ago is one of the best games we've seen in the RPL. If they're playing each other, you know, three times in 
eight weeks, then that sort of takes, or whatever it might be, it's going to take the shine off the games. You know, a, a Moscow derby when they're playing, when they're played every week, becomes less of a less of a uh, not phenomenon, but I'm going to go with phenomenon. That's not the word I want. Less of a spectacle. You know, fan, fans aren't going to be as excited about a Moscow derby when they've got to play each other every week. You know, it's you know the season's all about for me. A season is, you know, you have to go out there and you have to prove that you can do it against the big teams and the small teams. Um, you know, Rubin last season were terrific against the big teams. You know, beat Zenit twice, beat a lot of the Moscow teams, but often didn't show up against the small teams, and that's ultimately why they didn't finish the size they could have. Um, so yeah, I, I I wouldn't be a big fan of of any of the new league reforms. I'm happy with the league staying as a 16 team, play each other twice. You know, I, maybe even expanding to 18 would I think be fine. But I think the league is, in terms of structure, is fine how it is. You know, the, this talk, the only thing I would maybe consider is maybe putting it back to to a March March November season structure. You know, in place with you know the other winter nations rather than working alongside the summer nations. Um, that's the only thing I would, I would personally consider. Uh, I wouldn't be a fan of any of the reforms, but you know we'll, we'll have to see what happens, and I'll, I'll watch along all the same. Yeah, certainly. In terms of structure, I think I've supported vast regionalization and lessening homogenization of the lower leagues in the what's now the Finna L two splitting that into the six zones, amalgamating the east into the rest, trying to minimise the travel costs for them, help subsidising their travel costs as well, is a good idea. That's because of the financial perils of the clubs and the size of the geography of the nation. Yes, it's difficult finding 16 clubs who can be financially solvent, but this is why we're seeing so many teams being backed in some form or sponsored in, in another form by Gazprom, for me, instead of tinkering too much with the structure of the RPL in particular, increasing intensity and increasing attractiveness of the pitch is done by increasing the standard of coaching, increasing the standard of play, introducing more foreign players with and foreign managers with different ideas, with different forms and ways to play the game and different approaches. All of this just makes it a more attractive league, more more attractive league, rather than necessarily trying to impose structural reform. Yes, they have it in Switzerland. Yes, they have it in Belgium. Those leagues aren't necessarily that much more successful, but they are granted to be fair more successful in the last couple of years than Russian teams have been in Europe. So perhaps it does increase the coefficient of the league but does it necessarily make it more marketable and more exciting and easier to watch? Maybe not maybe because of the domination of the top four leagues, in particular the Premier League and and the Bundesliga maybe they're fighting a losing battle in terms of the marketing of the RPL but Richard I'll let you jump in now for some final words on on these reforms and yeah, I just want to say as well that, um, you know, the smaller clubs too, I think this abolition of the limit will help them because, look, they're not going to be able to buy as many foreign players as the top clubs. Now, obviously, you know, they some of them might be thinking, oh, well, if we if we, if we we do vote to abolish the limit, 
you know, this will allow the top clubs to buy even more foreign players. They'll pull further away from us. But the flip side of that is, whilst you might not be able to afford as many good, as many foreign players as the top clubs, what you also will be able to get hold of is now you'll see players like Nikolai Raskarzov, you'll see players like Ilya Kutepov, you'll see other players too now who will become available for transfer at the top clubs and they will have to drop down to these mid to lower table clubs. And, you know, and there are players at the top clubs who, you know, are only there at the minute really because of the limit, because of the limits on foreign players. When those, when the limits are gone, those players can drop down and it would increase the intensity for everybody. Then, you know, those, those smaller mid-table to lower mid-table clubs will be able to get hold of these players and they will be upgrades on what they currently have. And um, I'll tell you something that would be very interesting to see if, if tomorrow, I think the vote is, isn't it? I think it's tomorrow. It'll be very interesting to see tomorrow if, if that vote, if the vote to abolish the limit goes through as per the Hypercube recommendations. I bet then we will suddenly see an increase in intensity all across the board in training and in games from a lot of the Russian players currently playing in the RPL who are not, you know, the Russian internationals, the ones who are starters at the minute. Because straight away then, with the limit gone for next year, they would then have to work a lot harder and, you know, train be on it all the time to guarantee selection. There will be no, you know, um, limits. So, you know, the intensity levels will go up. So, you know, it'd be very interesting to see the reaction if, if, if this does go through tomorrow. And fingers crossed that they do vote to abolish the limit tomorrow. But yeah, just thought I'd add in that extra little um, line there about um, it would free up the likes of likes Kutepov and players like Raskarzov then would drop down and it would allow Spartak more depth to their squad, which they can recruit more players through so yeah I think it's going to have it's going to have benefits to everybody I think not just the top clubs mm-hmm. yeah certainly and with that we will we have run over ever so slightly in what is RFN tradition to be more than honest uh, but that is the end of this week's podcast we'll have the usual uh, coverage it's going to be a an article with all the highlights and the scores from last week's matches on the site as soon as possible. Um, keep an eye out for some upcoming interviews that are quite interesting, and I'll not, I'll not spoil anything. I'll give any teasers yet. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week at the regular time. But for now, this has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Футбольный матч летит над полем мяч. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.